Hello and welcome to Bergcast, a podcast celebrating the work of writer Nigel Neal. This episode, we go back to the late 1950s and the creation of Woodfall films, an often overlooked period in Neal's career as he adapted John Osborne's scripts for Look Back in Anger and The Entertainer. Joining us for this trip down British social realism lane is writer and broadcaster Samira Ahmed, and we examine how Neil writes British social realism as he writes speculative fiction, the influence of Judith Kerr on his work, how Neil scores over writers like John Wyndham, and if Donald Pleasance has ever looked young. This is Jimmy Porter, who learned at an early age what it was like to be angry. Angry and helpless. Here am I set! If only something, something would happen to waken you from your beauty sleep. If you could have a child, and it would die. Let it grow. Let a recognizable human face emerge from this, this little mass of India rubber and wrinkles. If only I could see you face that. Jimmy Porter, who lives and loves with an intensity altogether frightening. It's hardly a moment when I'm not watching and wanting you. Nearly two years of being in the same room with you and I still can't stop my sweat breaking out and I see you doing something as ordinary as leaning over an ironing board. Samir, welcome to podcast. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I've stepped into a new alien world I was unaware of. Who knows what well, will happen? I mean, the, you're you're not without form on, on 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 knowledge of alien worlds. But is it true that you're not a, a particular aficionado or, or a fan of of, of Nigel Neal's work? Or? I'm a huge what? fan of the film of Quatermass in the Pit, which I okay. saw at a young age and I absolutely adored, um, and I still adore. Um, and I grew up reading. Not me myself, but I read all the Judith Carr books to my children. They, I mean, and I did actually say that Mog was quite an influence on me. Um, there's a line when Mog, the forgetful cat, um, it goes, Mog sat in the dark and thought dark thoughts. And that's me. And I also think there's mm. a whole Nigel Neal, the Judith Carr, Nigel Neal marriage is encapsulated in the darkness that lurks within Mog. Well, you know, there's the mysterious one that's never been reprinted. Um, Mog and Barnaby and I was intrigued by this because it's listed in there and you can't get it anywhere and I thought that maybe it was that hideously un-PC and there was you know there was some terrible 70s you know racism and I thought well it seems unlikely given their marriage given Judith's background given their work and when I met Judith Carr um, a couple of years ago it was the 40th anniversary I think of the tag who came to Tin she came on um front row and oh she was so adorable and I have to know why has this book never been republished and she said oh it was like a flat book you know like for little toddlers and it was quite a complicated one and so any copies that got published probably got chewed up and torn and eaten so it never turned up second hand and I think it was quite expensive to produce but she said they were planning to put together a kind of big re new version of all the Mog books so maybe Mog and Barnaby has yet to emerge but I still intrigued. I just had this idea that it was like this really hideous monstrosity of a of a story that had had to be quietly ditched. Yeah, and it's just expensive to print. Who was You're Barnaby? From, uh, the truth is often more prosaic than what we imagine it to be. I think be. Barnaby was probably a puppy. Ah, as well. But you've inter so you, you've interviewed um, yeah Judith as part of. Uh, did you did you deliberately uh, ask her on, or was there a yes, she would come on? Was there a particular reason that she was? Yeah, it was it was the fortieth anniversary. Oh, sorry, it was the 40th anniversary. Came yeah, to yeah. And you know, when you meet someone who you just think 
this woman is so important to so many people. And you know, she was she was in her nineties by then, so you knew she was frail. And she was she was just sitting waiting for me because we were pre-recording it. You know, and no fuss, absolutely lovely. And I'd always been fascinated by her marriage to Nigel Neal ever since I found out. Oh, you know, they were a couple, which must have been about sort of ten or fifteen years ago. And you know, we'd often talk my husband and I about the idea of this mashup of their worlds in which kind of Mog has some hideous, monstrous alien DNA and mutates. And you know, I, I just thought it's a shame that they never quite went there, you know? I mean, I was... you see on the internet sort of spoof <laughs> Rupert the Bear cartoons where you have Rupert meeting meeting Lovecrafty and doing doing yeah. the Shadow Out of Time or whatever. They, you know, there, there has to be a Mog versus Quaterbass thing out there somewhere. The internet well, exists. There's certainly a Judith Carr style, you know, those pencil drawings of Nigel Neal's story that's waiting to be done. Mm. I, yes, I, 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 absolutely. I've, I've thought the idea that the, the tiger is actually the husband um, in, the, in, in, in the story could be could be possible. You never see the husband and the tiger in the same in the house at the same time, do you? Oh. Oh. That's completely not what I had as subtext, actually. I, I didn't. I just made it up. I didn't. didn't I, I know. I know. Because you know, it's not the Nazis, don't you? She said that it's not the Nazis. No, it's just yeah, a tiger. It's, yeah. Right. I'm. I. I really, well, you say it's not the Nazis, but, but she said it feels that. like rationing. <laughs> The tiger feels like rationing. The tiger feels like, and, and dad, dad is away because he's at war, and then it's all right when he comes back. Um, but again, I'm reading too much into it. I think you are. I think the seventies was quite a boring time in many ways, and you just made up stories without them having some major historical, socio-political context. That's that's, that's a true fact. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> So as far as um, Woodfall is concerned, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a curious beast in that the fans of uh, early British New, British New Wave um, don't really think of, of, of Nigel Neal as being part of their uh, the world. And similarly, fans of Nigel Neal look on sort of his, his 50s and 60s films uh, as a again as a curious beast that they that they don't really, really approach just because the world seem 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 fairly different um were you aware of, of nigel neal's involvement in in woodfall's first first two no films? i have to confess so it's two things one i'm a huge fan of um you know british social realism and in fact mm. if i made a little plug i did a whole special program in 2013 for night waves as it was then which is the bbc radio 3 now it's the free thinking slot and we had um you know murray melvin and we had neil brand talking about the music and we discussed many of them we actually got ken loach as well talking about their influence um and I'd seen some like Sylvia Sims is an early one called Woman in a Dressing Gown. And I've interviewed all these people about their films. And it wasn't until 18 months ago that I watched The Entertainer, had it having never seen, I'd seen the stage version with Kenneth Branagh. Um, and then I saw the film version with Laurence Olivier and realised it was Nigel Neal. And then when you, you know, and I were discussing, um, you know, which Nigel Neal films I might pick, I was initially going to say Quatermass and the Pit, the film, because I just adore it. And then I watched, um, you know, Look Back in Anger and, the two of them are such an interesting duo. One, because of the way that he really writes for location. So he takes everything outside. Um, I think Morecambe is where they filmed um, The Entertainer. And, and they're constantly on the move. There are all these scenes where they're sitting on the seafront or they're on a bench above the town. Um, he's got this real eye for the old world of theatre and how it's disappearing. So in um, Look Back in Anger, Claire Bloom's character, the actress friend, you know, she's got this job in this um, local theatre. And it's a play that had been in the West End, but it's terribly 
old-fashioned. And he films it from above. And what really struck me was he shoots 50s England like it's an alien world. And this works for two reasons. One, because from Jimmy Porter's point of view, he feels alienated. And there's an amazing scene in that film where the church bells are ringing and I know it's the direction, obviously, Tony Richardson's an amazing direction, a director, but the kind of camera just is on the church in tower and the bell sound is coming from it. And you feel, what is this weird, it's like a mothership sending out some kind of calling signal, a bit like in Quatermass and the Pit, you know, they kind of get that that wake-up call when the... The, the vibration thing, yeah. From the, yeah, from the, from and the I, I mean, I, you know, to some extent, I, once I was conscious, I was kind of looking for it, but I do think it's genuinely there, that he, he just has this eye for seeing how things look to an alien, and he shoots 50s England through the prism of someone who's come from another time and another place, and as much as made of Jimmy Porter being out of place. There's all this stuff he sticks in about refugees and outsiders. There's all this stuff about Kapoor, the, you know, the Indian who turns out to be an untouchable, who's kind of left his own world where he's yeah. alienated. So there's aliens within alien worlds, within alien worlds. Um, and I just found that astounding. Um, and I think that's, that's, for me, is proof that Nigel Neal, you know, sees science fiction the same way that he saw British social realism, which is all about seeing alienation. Um, and it's just, I, I just, I'm, I'm in awe. And the other thing I should mention is, there's an amazing radio version of Look Back in Anger with David Tennant, the Doctor Who actor, who is just a stunning actor. There's something, some affinity with, I think, these kinds of British social realisms. And the, the play is incredibly intense. I actually do I have to say, I think the plot of the play is better than the film. But the film is, is a really interesting watch because of what Nigel Neal's done with the locations and all these new characters he's put in. Um, Yes, it's just you have a sense of a big world populated by all these different creatures and their and their different agendas. And crucially, this world of old entertainment being surpassed and, and replaced by new entertainment. And the two don't quite understand each other. And I think for someone who was making science fiction to something brilliant at a time when it was still seen as pulpy and American and foreign, um, you know, maybe there's... There's a slight meta way in which you can see Nigel Neal is writing about the things he actually wants to write about, which is fantasy. I think the um, the first thing I noticed, and again, as you as you alluded to, to there, sometimes you're not quite sure whether this is uh, in, from Neil's script or, or Richard Richardson's direction. But uh, when Jimmy's right at the beginning is leaving the the jazz, the jazz club and going to going home, uh, and he stops and he plays his he plays his trumpet and he looks about and it's quiet. The scenes of and I don't know if, if you've seen it, but of Victor Caroon in the, the Hammer film of the Quatermass Experiment, wandering the streets, hiding to the shadows. Uh, shot quite a shot of a quite a high uh, quite a yeah. high angle Abs- absolutely ties in with your it's it's like an alien world and they one okay they're both in they're both in 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 uk cities but as 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 figures that have become apart from society i think that i think that uh, illustrates perfectly what, what what you're saying be it a man changing into an an an, an alien or be it uh, a person who uh, feels cut off from society by yeah by or at least doesn't understand or know their, their role in society they can be treated in, a, in, 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 in exactly the same way and the idea of the monster is quite interesting because the thing about Jimmy Porter and I mean look back in anger is harder and harder to watch in all kinds of ways because of the misogyny and the you know abusiveness um, so there's a sense that he, there's this monster inside him which is constantly erupting and everyone's around him is is acting in fear of 
you know, what, what is inside him. And yet he's still human and that he has his lovable moments. And again, I mean, it might be me over-literalising literal, comparisons with, with, you know, kind of Quatermass, but I do think it's interesting the way that he does play with the idea of the monstrous um, and how people try and manage it and this constant fear of something erupting that they don't understand. It, is there a parallel with that and, and the pregnancy, do you think? I personally don't see it. Someone's been pregnant twice. Um, I don't. I sometimes think it's a very male thing to make a big deal about um, pregnancy. But no, the mis. Sorry, spoilers for anyone who's not seen it. The miscarriage, which I don't remember if there was a mis. Was there a miscarriage in the original play? I don't remember. I don't recall. I've never actually um, seen the play. I've I've seen the staging that was was shown in '66 as part of the uh, the memorial that's on the um, the Woodfall BFI box set. They show the first 15 minutes of the play. Oh, lovely. Um, which is which is which is beautiful to watch, but I've never I've never I've, ne- I've, I've never seen the play, so. I don't and know the other thing is just they're such beautiful films. You've, you know, black and white is so rich when it's shot right, and and all the locations and as um, and all the sporting characters. I always think the thing about and I, I've seen I have seen the first Quatermass film um, on TV the quite some time ago, um, but there's always the sense of you know the people who are trying to do the right thing and kind of seeing what's really at stake here and all the kind of petty people with their own agenda so Donald Pleasance is like the official in a plant isn't he who would just you know deliberately have his own agenda and not be interested yeah. in doing the right thing and and in this case it's you know how he, he kind of falls in with um prejudice against a, an Asian market trader and it's done very lightly and then that's that's when Jimmy Porter is kind of Quatermass isn't he he's sort of standing up for no there's something bigger yes. at stake here which is yeah. decency yeah. you know in fairness and, and, and the and and the conflict against yeah. against, oh, against and I've against got to say I had no idea Gary Raymond was in Look Back in Anger as his best yep. friend Cliff so I had the biggest crush on Gary Raymond and I saw him on stage quite recently because he's been in Follies at the National Theatre right really you know he's in his 80s and he yep. still looks bloody amazing he's got, got, got obviously got silver hair but he's absolutely tall and balletic and I just thought Jesus this is the man from Jason and the Argonauts from the most kind mm. of dramatic scene um, but he's in so many great films he was in the original stage production as well, I think, wasn't he? Was he? Was he, was he the and the weird, the weird thing character? is he does a really kind of sort of prominent Welsh accent, whereas Richard Burton's is not there at all. Yeah, but it's... And it has that... It, it has, I think, one of the, the few problems there are with the play often which often sent sorry the film with often centre around Richard Burton is when he mocks uh, uh, his 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 Gary's Welshness uh, but he does it in a slightly posh Welsh accent you know and there's a there's a there's a Timothy Dalton um, <laughs> thing about Richard 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 Burton which I know uh, from your terms that John Rain likes to say salt corrosion uh, is the is the best way of, <laughs> is the best way of saying of being posh and Welsh is to do an impression of Timothy Dalton yeah. uh, and there's a thing about that about 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 Richard Burton you can hear it there but the the impact Less of the mocking uh, when you, oh, you, I just you, love it. I love it because also because Gary Raymond's from Brixton, he's a South London boy, so I right. have a double affection for him. Well, I should say salt corrosion is a family catchphrase between me and my is sister. Is it right? Since we first saw the film, with, oh, it's 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 what I'm trying to do in a more interesting Welsh accent. I'll always say salt corrosion. <laughs> yes, because it's corrosion as well. But then yeah, this is the flip side. So you have to make you have to make. His his character world. I mean, you could probably tell he's not Welsh just because he says "boyo" every other word. And ha- Howard, who lives in Swansea, by the way, do you do you know anyone that says "boyo" every other word? I have never met anyone who says "boyo" in my life. I've I, I've had people who say "boy," I, 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 and then people say "buddy," but they don't say "boyo." But did they in the fifties? To be they fair, they may have done. They may well have I done. I think they but, did. Uh, it's uh. Have to ask Ellis James. 
You know what, sorry? Oh, you have to ask Ellis James. I did a a good read with him and he chose that novel of um, Dylan Thomas's, which is all set in Swansea. Oh, yeah. Um, He'll know. Yeah. He'll know. It's a, it's a kind of coming of age thing. Oh, and my life as a young dog. Yes. I was going to say my life as a dog. Um, and then I confused it with that Danish film. But anyway. Is there also a parallel, do you think, or again, are we reading potentially too much into it because of the the, the original play? Quatermass um, is a a character that is is, uh, existing out beyond the limit of his control, beyond the limit of his of his of his of his knowledge. And although we see the parallels with him dealing with with Jimmy or uh, whoever dealing with dealing with authority, the idea of the, the the overall problem, which here is the the entire societal society in which in which he exists, is like an alien invasion, uh, just too big for one person to deal yeah. with. You're always going to um, fail, I suppose. I, I, I just think that he can he can help uh, Kapoor when it comes to actually checking whether or not, by the book, he has done something wrong and revoked his license. When it comes to just racism. Uh, from the fellow um, uh, stallholders, he can't. He's outnumbered. He's yeah. outnumbered. Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, from the very beginning of that film in the jazz club, you know, you see there are black dancers. There's mm. a black woman yeah. dancing with a white man. There's, you know, uh, uh, black men. And in his room, it's full of photos of black jazz stars. There's Ella Fitzgerald and I think Bessie Smith might be there as well. Um, and I just, the, the sense that... His tribe, which is people who are not racist, who embrace this exciting world culture, um, they're completely incomprehensible to most of the people that he lives with, which is, you know, his tribe or, 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 you know, the people of England in this kind of... Is it supposed to be a provincial town? It's not supposed to be London, is it's it? It's not supposed to be London. Like, it's meant to be the Midlands. Yeah, I thought so. No, it's, I don't, I don't know the play yeah. premiered in Derby, I think. So mm. I remember talking to uh, someone from Derby Theatre when they uh, when the anniversary came around. So I think that's, again, that's the sense of, you know, being a spaceman um, among an alien tribe. You know, you're sort of alienated from the people that you're supposed to be part of. And actually, he's assimilated into a bigger universe, isn't he? Um, and a yeah. universe that um, is the future. Um, but it seems incomprehensible to the people around him. And I think that's one of the reasons why Nigel O'Neill's work really holds up, because he just has this incredible sense of of a better future, even when things are scary. Um, well, uh, I think it's universal, because even even his, his sci-fi deals, as, like all good sci-fi deals with themes and issues that are universal so you know as i said before i think this um this came out after quatermass and the pit tv serial but was written before and in the central theme of the quatermass and the pit tv serial is that it's discovered that racism is alien to the human to the human race it's given to us by by the martian uh, by the, the the martian influence and it's something that's activated and it's here seen as uh here seen without sort of the uh, the the convenient trappings we can we can give excuses to life forms but here here is here here, here is the reality and it's something that jimmy can't can't fight against well, yeah and it, i mean it seems to be made much more of than it ever was in the play um mm, yeah, i mean there's is, two yeah. other interesting things one is just john osborne turning up in flash gordon <laughs> you know so the whole the whole kind of the little connections of actors and writers in this film and and their connection to to science fiction and fantasy um I just think yeah. here, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to guess that given the marriage he had to this young woman who'd escaped Hitler as a, you know, a Jewish child, mm. you know, they had a view of the world. Um, they'd had their eyes opened 
um, much earlier than many other people. And there's something really interesting about Jewish writers who who fled. So this, to, to people like Judith Carr, who you know came as an outsider before many Britons would really have understood quite what was going on, and would have always had this dual aspect of knowing what it's like to have been targeted within your own community when you know people have basically been turned into you know they've been um, activated like the Martians activated humans and they've turned against you and you've got to get out and then you're trying to convey yeah. to a new population this could happen here or maybe you you watch for the signs of it arising there. Um, I find that that really powerful. I think that one of my favorite things about Nigel Neal, and this goes back to this sort of thing, is that he is both incredibly humane while being very clear-eyed about what is wrong with people. Um, You have famously Brian Aldiss described his problem with a lot of British science fiction as being full of cozy catastrophes, um, which you know, he, he, he called on, um, he called out Day of the Triffids particularly because, you know, the entire entirety of society is collapsed and is being preyed upon by walking carnivorous plants and people are just raiding department stores and getting nice clothes. It's so and funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking John Wyndham, the midwitch cuckoos, I have real problems with, which is probably written about the same time. It's 57. And, cozy catastrophe. Well, it's not even just that it's cozy catastrophe. It's the complete lack of empathy for women in it so there's no sense there's never it's never thought that maybe these women might all be given abortions which would have been medically and completely possible and completely safe but his his and i am a big fan of aspects of john Wyndham. we weirdly we were given the chrysalis to read really young at school things they did in the 70s but but midrich cookies i just thought straight away this book is so dated because he you know all these posh white male officials say oh god all these women have got pregnant and it's some of it is touching there's there's a woman who's obviously lesbian um you know there's very old women there's very young girls who've been, been impregnated and so you have that sense of horror but all these men talk about it as oh well her for them but no thought that well you could just give them abortions and it would have been interesting if they tried it and then for whatever reason it didn't work out and I felt the limits of John Wyndham were he really had this box where he couldn't see beyond his white dare I say it white male privilege and it's very few science fiction writers I feel that about but it's been disappointing in those books yeah and as opposed to Nigel Neal who even when he gets it a bit wrong like in the stone tape which we talked about with Una McCormack some time ago um he essentially is trying to present how awful it is yeah. when someone who's a woman or is being pre- suffering from prejudice in whatever way is being treated he tries to get across how emotionally bad it is and even if he doesn't quite get there or spends too much time you know in in the stone tape he sort of they sort of wind up doing sexism to show sexism um i haven't watched it i'm going to go and have have to Oh, listen to him. Um, no, no, watch, watch it. It's 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 There is a and Peter Strickland did a did a a radio play version. Uh, that's which, what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was. But yeah, but um, Peter Sasty's uh, Christmas '72 version is a is Jane a Asher. Oh, but do you know what you were just saying, Howard? I was thinking how in the film Look Back in Anger, he really opens up and puts creates all these scenes for the women on their own. Um, 
And I mean, I do think the writing look back in anger originally is strong so that all the women are quite interesting. But the, the real genuine empathy and, and warmth for them and that what they're going through that um, Nigel Neal puts in, that's very noticeable. I think you really have this sense that he cares. I mean, that, that humanism, the humanism of Nigel Neal is, I think, one of the reasons why people love his work. Against the odds, you know, people try to do the right thing. Some do, except for Donald Pleasance. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 are we wondering about what Donald Pleasant's pressures under whatever he's like, um, whatever his life's been like? No, to but make no, him that's this, what's this so great. So Nigel Pleasance is, I mean, this is we could bring in Nazism. It's the petty pleasure of the of the, you know the jobs worth, and um, oh, yeah. you know I think Nigel Neal really captured that without overplaying it. Just you don't need to know much about this man. You just know he knows he has the power and he loves it, and he will use it. Neil's empathic enough to know yeah. that some people have no empathy. And they will be empowered by, you know, depending on what the alien scenario is, they will then use that to, yes. to, to carry out terrible acts and others will choose to do the right thing. I mean, it's the old collaborators versus the resistance idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Neil's, I think, fair-minded enough in his um, in his mis- in, in his misanthropic writing, though, to to to, to cast uh, um, no one in a particularly or no, or no class in a in a in a in a particular way. He highlights the inherent hypocrisies in 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 all in in all of them. And I, I've come back to this several times, but in the first episode of uh, the Quatermass and the Pit TV serial, and which again shows Neil's uh, superb angle for info dumping and and. and moving the story on yeah. in, in the ways we have the vox pop with ordinary members of the public basically saying should they yeah should they uh, stop uh, excavating and get back to building and they'll be going even though they know nothing about what's being done yeah why not if they like it and it's and the point is that all of those answers could be used in any generic way mm. and that people will always which chris morris does really well in the day-to-day is uh, it, people will always just try and answer something uh particularly men rather than say i have no idea what you're talking about i they can't, I can't, offer, I can't offer an opinion and then yeah. that that's contrasted lovely with the increasing distaste of the bbc interviewer and then when finally someone of importance like quatermass turns up she's like oh good now someone whose opinion really Really matters, uh, and it comes, and it's the, and it's horrible for everyone. Everyone is skewered e- e- equally, and um, you know it's it's not like the, the the Jimmy's opinions of the of 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 of, of her fa- of her family are particularly you know like inaccurate or not felt. There's there's a, there's a line which I don't think, and I'm open to correction on this. I don't think it's in the play, um, but he says of um, her brother, uh, he. He walked over better men's graves, as in when they're leaving, they're, when they're leaving the church, he imagines what their Sunday, what her mm. family's sun, sun, Sunday is like, mm. uh, and it's it's in in through sort of he deals again, I think quite good at the economy of a line of a to to make you feel a world of like you know of a world of of a world of privilege. That, he, uh, that I mean, that, it's interesting the use of of um, military death. Um, mm. Because in in quite near the end of Look Back in Anger, they're walking through the park, him and Claire Bloom, and you suddenly realise that all the benches are full of they're all World War One veterans with yep. they're blind or they're crippled or um, and it takes time to and you know to, you don't, to, yeah and you don't you know you never you don't know who they are no. you just get these glimpses of them and the sense that this was a world in the late fifties when 
there was that there were two generations of men, but particularly I think the first World War generation of, of wounded who were visible scars of this battle. And it would have been like an alien battle of another, another planet by then. And, and I think that also maybe translates very well into how he writes about these big scale battles against evil when um, you have a sense of something buried that's never quite been confronted but you can see its scars um, and I also like the way that he sort of builds from something very mundane so again I mean my main comparison is is the film of Quatermass of the Pit which in its technical colour hammer glory I just think there's so much going on and it's so exciting but you know excavations at a tube station which is so mundane and then from that emerges this massive massive idea of you know alien DNA that is controlling us, that's waiting to be reawakened. And it happens quite gradually. And yet, actually, in, I mean, the film is, what, less than 90 minutes, probably. You just get to this massive, um, hugely complex idea about the possible development of humanity and our place in the solar system. And I, I think his, his ability to take us from the very mundane to a very, very grand, fantastical view of our place in the universe would, would have really resounded with a lot of impressionable young kids who grew up to write science fiction and um, and fantasy because we're opening our minds. Um, and I know that there's also that whole nuclear dimension to it of, you know, what the bomb enables and our mind, our imagination kind of thinking about all the possibilities of that. But I just think the idea that there's previous generations of primitivism, which would have counted, you know, a very strong sense of white supremacy, which would have still been in Britishness. You know, the empire wasn't that long ago. And the idea that, oh, my God, we're contaminated with the DNA of alien creatures is not how English middle class people had ever been taught to think about themselves in the way that we always, you know, they would have been taught to think about other races as being inferior. And we brought them culture. I just think there's some really interesting, subtle thinking challenging the way that middle class viewers would think about their identity. Mm. Very much so. I mean, he sort of takes on, you take, I mean, I mean science fiction pretty much been um driven by the pulps of the 1930s and 40s and a lot of these were very racist so you've got lovecraft who's basically the bottleneck through all american science fiction goes which is why you know um aliens have tentacles because he had a phobia of marine fauna and but he lovecraft's all about miscegenation as the horror you know it's all about them and us and the alien and people um you know, being mixed with terrible alien things, but um, Neil is infinitely more humane because he goes, well, that's us and we've got to cope with it. We've actually got to approach it. Do you see um, a, a Nigel Neil influence, even if it's quite subtle, in the new Jordan Peele, J.J. Abrams, Lovecraft Country? Have you watched any of it? I've not, not yet watched it, no. It's worth checking out. I watched yeah, the first two episodes because we were reviewing it on Front Row and... Of course, what he does brilliantly, and I think Nigel Neal, if he were alive, would have loved it, is, um, you know, the real monster is the um, the racism. They're going through the South looking for this missing father. And and the first episode is called After Sundown, and it has two things, which is After Sundown, the, the vampires come out. But also, they're going through sundown towns where the, the sheriffs are chasing them. And I, honestly, it makes you feel, you know, you completely empathise with these black characters. You know, they are the heroes. They all read loads of science fiction. They're big science fiction fans. And you realise you're less frightened of the monsters than you are of the humans who are chasing them. 
Um, although I've since read a review which has said it's actually more consumption of black suffering for white entertainment, which I don't know. I think given that there's a lot of black talent behind it, I, I, I think I dispute. But it's very interesting because it does something very Nigel Neal, which it combines the humanism, the anti-racism with, you know, pure tentacled, monstrous, bulbous um, science fiction monsters. Yeah. No, we'll have to, have to watch that. I was, I mean, I've got problems with consuming uh, Lovecraft, but knowing that Jordan Peele et al. are behind this, I would hope it would be something. You don't need to have read any Lovecraft right. to know that it's love. It's Lovecraft country, so there are tentacles. I mean, that's all you need to know. And there are and there are weird cultish men in um, in white robes, which are white not robes quite with pointy yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like it's are they the clan? Are they not the clan? There, there's a cult, and there's magic, and there's, you know, it's it's. I've never read a Lovecraft story, but I kind of know. You're not missing much. <laughs> There's a Cthulhu version of um, the board game Pandemic, isn't there? Yes, yes. Mm. I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> That's about. As much I've as actually I played it with someone. It's 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 you know it's, it's it's a painless way to spend an hour. Howard, by the way, also uh, has has written various rule books and created uh, role playing games. That's as well as so. There's a there's an ex, there's an expertise there. At the moment, um, the only thing I wonder if it's worth mentioning is you know how Nigel Neal approaches these these male protagonists. I mean, we haven't talked that much about the entertainer, um, no. but it's very interesting. I mean, one Laurence Olivier, I mean, he'd played the role on stage, hadn't he? Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing because he's sort of you know he's like a lost spaceman who's returned to his planet and it's found it's dying around him so the old musical world that he was watching a star in it's gone but he still thinks of himself as the kind of the virile captain so I think sometimes it's helpful to see these films as if you actually transpose all the characters into their science fiction equivalent it's a whole new fun way to watch those things um, and, and, and the world of Morecambe I went on holiday near there um, a couple of years ago and it's such you know you, it's so frustrating because you can see it's this most amazing grand um, art deco town which has fallen on tough times, and the old, you know, the, one of the big old theatres. I don't know if it's the one they filmed in is still there, and there's attempt to preserve it. Um, and it's this whole sense of you know the relics of a lost world, which could be revived and resuscitated with the right kind of DNA call. I don't know, um, but he seems to be able to use these um, lost and sort of ruinous places and reanimate them as like planets that have have been rediscovered by a new tribe and I think he kind of he comes in with his writing um with the very you know with the director's view almost of how this would look if you were a spaceman arriving in this new world or this world that you left 50 years ago and have come back to and I think that's that's a part of it and you know the camera's off and above and I'm sure Nigel Neal would have consulted with Tony Richardson they obviously were a good partnership but I'm really fascinated by the looking down which we still don't see done that often it's very alienating when you're you know you're above mm. in the eaves looking down on things or you're looking down at Laurence Olivier slightly preying on this younger girl Joan Plowright who of course was to become his next wife yeah, there's 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 themes of that throughout. In, in look back in anger, you know, Claire Bloom had had an affair with. Uh, I think I think Richard Burton had credited himself with taking her virginity like ten years ten years before in his in his in his. They did. Um, um, in, 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 in his who came in from the cold together a couple of years later as well, of course, didn't they? Mm. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, but and, yeah, the um, tentacles are almost coming out of these men's hands, aren't they? Sometimes. Yeah, and. Um, <laughs> Metaphorically, Mary, uh, uh, Mary did um, was it When Eagles Dare with Richard, with Richard Burton <laughs> later on, and she who was at the time married to um, John Osborne would would very soon divorce him and be with uh, 
Robert Shaw, I think, who got her pregnant around the same time as the wife he was leaving. Uh, so there's this whole other parallel of, of going on behind the camera, of which Nigel Neal is is, is there and is I'm so there glad. And, See, and that's the other thing. Nigel Neal and Judith Carr just seem to have had a really happy partnership that lasted yeah. for how many decades until his death? I mean, that's just God. Lovely. Yeah, they were married in the in the mid fifties. Uh, yeah. and, they, and he yeah, didn't die they, till the early 2000s or was it he early? died in 2006 he died. Yeah. so yeah they, they had a they years. had a very stable happy relationship for this all the all the talk of this curmudgeonly misogynist potentially in terms of his writing that's that that's a theme that's a theme that comes oh, really? up he was um yeah as you'll um if you look at his as we will uh we've just done the previous recording was on uh, beasts his um his mid-70s uh, uh atv series and the, there's a recurring theme of um uh, the real beasts being the utterly awful relationships or uh, uh, poisonous relationships that are always uh, so abusive to the women in them. And the um, the eternal argument of is this becoming something that it's preaching against is is brought up uh, again and again, which could be something that you can throw it, you can, you can, you can throw, throw, throw it, look, 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 look back in anger. Uh, when you get to the entertainer, though, I think when you've, because you've got suddenly, unlike the angry young men angle, you've got the, the object, the central object is apart from society for an entirely different reason, uh, but it's still, it's, it's still centered around him. But I think Neil there, as we've seen, can, not only can use uh, the minor characters to, to populate a world, but he gets a good sense of place out of it as you've uh, as you described mm-hmm. it. I, uh, Morecambe Council by the way when they found out they were filming um, uh, organised street parades to show to show Morecambe show Morecambe at its best and you know that's there's a lengthy sequence before the, um, Albert Finney's funeral uh, where there's just like there's the civil defence marching for no particular reason and that's because Morecambe put it on for that film and then they promised to they promised to shoot it and they've got like six hours worth of none of which they can use and it's like um, they had to like stop Morecambe Council doing so much because they were trying to film in, 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 and not always in the places that Morecambe Council wanted best to show their the, to, show, to, show, to show their town mm. um, but instead he makes use of you know the space behind uh, the roller coaster yeah. with him and his daughter talking about and he lies about where he's going and they make a thing about him going to the caravan uh, you know, to seduce, uh, to seduce the girl, um, or they make you know more. Of, they show the holiday camp, but they show the holiday camp and the beauty contest, and you know exactly what you're supposed to think of the holiday camp and the beauty contest and um, who this audience is for. I wonder if there's something about Nigel Neal that was fascinated by um, the self-awareness. I mean, the idea of you know Laurence Olivier playing that part um, when he sort of, you know, when he was this great classical actor and he's playing this really hammy variety star. Um, well, to tell... Sorry. Uh, it's, to te- go on, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, it's sort of like a science fiction story, isn't it, when you confront mm. different versions of yourself, but it's even in the hiring of the actors. Well, John Osborne apparently was... Um, although he'd started The Entertainer before they even um, finished uh, Look Back in Anger, uh, Os, uh, Olivier went to see it with, I think, Kenneth Tynan uh, and said, um, initially, really hostile to it, and Tannen said, that's exactly what, what people like you are supposed to think. You're not seeing it right. You're seeing it from a defensive point of view. This is this is the future. Um, and was one round. And then went to see Osborne and said, can you write me a play? Uh, I want to appeal to this, to this, uh, you know, I want to re- reinvent myself. How much of that is, 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 is genuine? How much of that is uh, Osborne's telling? Or how much of that is actually 
what Olivier actually said to Osborne, but at the end he just wanted to find, you know, a new wife. I don't, I, I don't know fully the motives, but he was, I think, became very aware suddenly of the way the wind was blowing and wanted to and wanted to re- maintain his relevance by doing those roles and doing a role where he could mock himself. You know, he started as a musical performer in the in in in, yeah. in, in the twenties and was skilled enough and comfortable enough. Uh, to then reinvent himself as the same person, but doing it. In I a, just think in it's, it's just way, fascinating because so. he's a kind of he's a kind of monster, and you can't. Yeah. But he's so compelling to watch, and that's the thing about great monsters. Yeah. You know, you, you you really just want to keep watching what they do, even if you're shuddering. And and both he and um, and I know everyone says what's his name is too old. Richard Burton's too old, but he's quite yeah. magnetic. He is. I mean, can you get past? I think he just one here. Yeah, he, he he looks at it, and he also just seems. Mind you, twenty five in the nineteen fifties. He smoked and drank yeah, that much and lived. I just. Yeah. I think it looked really old. I was shocked to find that Wilfred Bramble, who played the grandfather in Hard Day's Night, was four years younger than I am now when he made that film. Wow. And I'm not saying that I'm young, but I really, you know, he looks about eighty, and he was forty eight. Jesus. He turns up in Nigel Neal's Quatermass 2, by the way, looking exactly the same. And can we also say Donald Pleasance, like, doesn't change. When did Donald Pleasance, when was he ever really young? It's no. weird. Well, he's, it? this, is his, this is his second Neal appearance. He appears in Neal's adaptation of 1984. Uh, with, oh, uh, is that the Peter Cushing one? Yeah, he does, yeah. And he doesn't oh, look I still that... haven't seen that. He doesn't. It's yeah. It's not that easy to get, and, ho- and hopefully, when Orwell's estate calms down a bit, um, it'll pro- it'll get a it'll get a proper release. But uh, yeah, the Quatermass team of Cartier and Neil m- made that because after the success of, of Experiment, it was like, oh, you do sci-fi here, do it nineteen eighty four, as if that's the same beast. But yeah, there's a there's I mean lovely scenes to see on telly of Cushing and mm. um, um, Pleasance, but yeah, Pleasance doesn't look all that young then, and that's what fifty four. And it's just, yeah, this is a guy who was going well in, well into the 80s and was a recognisable major figure and has never seemingly changed or looked... Oh, really it's sim- similar to Beryl Reed, actually. Wow. You know, the thing about Beryl Reed, Beryl Reed always looked like Beryl Reed. So she's like, in the, in the 60s, early 70s, she's playing Nikki Henson's mum in Psychomania, despite only being like about three years older or something. No, she was more than three years old. Well, all right, a little bit older. <laughs> she wasn't that much older than Nikki Henson when she made Psychomania. Really? <laughs> And and then and you know and she still looks the same in the eighties when she's doing stuff and she looked the same in the sixties and I think that's one, yeah that's one of the biggest I think cultural uh, shifts I've had as a child uh, I knew her as the presenter of Mooncat me too uh, yes. uh, yeah uh, finding Can out I she's say, I was once asked to read up oh no I'm thinking of Thora Heard who Who's did look it? very young in if you see went the day well where she's the young woman who works in the post office she kills she does, Nazi yes. with an axe. Um, you recognise the kind of eyes, but no, that's when I mean, she must have been in her twenties, and then she became the Thora Heard we know. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure and Beryl Reed would have had her equivalent. Maybe it just wasn't captured on film. <laughs> Thora, Thora Heard was very, very good in, in, uh, in, in the, the Entertainer. entertainer. She, she plays, plays the, the uh, angry, angry mum, angry bitten, but very, 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 very privileged normal mum. Also, also, she's, she's in, in she's, she's in the quite a mass experiment film, Hammer film as well. She has a lovely. Tragic, tragic line, line where she, she, she plays, plays like a like a, 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 a gin so did did Rachel Neal ever get asked to, to do Doctor Who? Who? <laughs> yes, uh, and, and he absolutely hated Doctor Who. Oh, no, he loathed Doctor Who. They asked him to do it, didn't they? Several times. Several times, and he didn't want to do it because he was like, I think, I think, I, I don't know, I guess it must have felt like someone redecorating his house without asking. Well, first of all, I mean, do, I mean, mm. it's, 
John Pertwee Doctor Who now gets famously rips of Derek Sherwin's vision of Doctor Who gets to sort of it rips it off. And if you see Spearhead from Space, yeah, it's mm. it's quite a it's quite a mess too. Initially, Neil uh, turned it down, and there's a sadly it no longer exists. But him and Verity Lambert on late night lineup talking, and curiously, Neil's point is interesting and uh, that he doesn't like Doctor Who because it scares children, and he thinks that's negative. Oh, cool. so he like, agreed with Mary Whitehouse on that. Well, uh, oh, yeah. Heavens. Ten, ten years later, Mary Whitehouse would would, would have been, but it's it's curious to think how he when you don't think of that being something because again, you know, it's not always how Neil viewed himself as a as a writer of uh, things, oh, but it, being pure about what you should scare children with and how how, how to treat children, and then I, it comes to the early seventies. I mean, 70s it is striking how often. I mean, I'm, I'm on the editorial review board of Doctor Who magazine, so I read it, it cover to cover, and there are all these stories coming out with interviews with surviving directors and writers and all the old papers about how often you know storylines were just no, no, we weren't going to not going to do that and then someone's asked to just churn out six episodes at short notice and so the quality was really variable and I remember which is the the Tom Baker Leela one when they just rip off the fantastic voyage and the solution is oh shrink you and put you inside this person which one is it invisible enemy yeah and you just think that's such a lazy copyright ripoff and I think Doctor Who did that quite a lot I'm not surprised if Nigel Neal felt miffed Oh, it's it's if you early Tom Baker, which is you know the, the considered the high the the, the, the mm. high point. You've got King Kong. You've got you've got you've got Hammer. You've got Univer- Hammer Hammer and Universal Horror. You've got uh, King Kong. You've got uh, Body Horror. You've got uh, World War Two. You've got uh, uh, Forbidden Planet. You've got Doctor Jekyll. Uh, so Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. All those things. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You've got you've you've got all of that. Robert Holmes is just coming and going. Right, what ideas work? Stick the Doctor in them. Give them a twist. Go. And it and it yeah. It's it's a it's a, it, it is it is a big rip off. The famous. No, I was just saying that Doctor Who. I mean, Robert Holmes famously said that he wanted to scare the little buggers and to scare children. Um, Neil didn't want to scare children. Neil, who I think cared a lot about children's media obviously um neil wanted to disturb adults Mm, that's so well put howard and that's that's the difference i think yes because even when i think i saw quatermass in the pit the film when i was quite young and it did disturb me but it didn't frighten me in a in the way that children get frightened it was more the big ideas that were disturbing for adults that, I think, yeah, that left I think, me thinking. I think that's a reason Neil doesn't get uh, the same level of respect as classic TV writers gets. His ideas are, are things that are best dealt with through fantastical uh, set- settings, mm. and that gets pigeonholed to pigeonholed too quickly. But when he started, you know, on the one hand, he wasn't known as a as a sci-fi writer because there wasn't you know sci-fi telly. There was barely telly, so you've got classic new drama. In the in the way that you could argue, it's more like Line of Duty than 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 than, than, than Blake Seven. And crucially, you're know, being involved with with Woodfall. He's there because he's a, a decent, skilled adapter of scripts. Why didn't he do more? Are those the only two Woodfall films he did? Yeah, he he did. Yeah, he um they they moved on and they didn't and he lost touch with Richardson. There was no big falling out or, yeah. or anything like that. Curious that o- Osborne didn't want to adapt. He could he was a, he was seen as a playwright. Yet yeah. he would adapt Tom Jones um, for for Woodfall. Yeah. Uh, so it may be something he grew into and was then happy to to to. Because I was to, just thinking, is there a Woodfall film which is um, Whistle Down the Wind or is that? That's not Woodfall. No, that's Brian Forbes and yeah. the Richard Attenborough partnership, which I think is worth comparing because that's a film about 
an alien spaceman yes, landing yeah. on a planet, isn't it? And the kids, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the kids see him as this a black, a blank canvas as Christ, you know, creature, or, or, yeah. or whatever, whatever they're told. Um, yeah, Life that's forms, of course, really interesting. He's a Christopher <laughs> alien, basically. A, what did you call him? A Christopher alien? Yeah, it's just the spaceman, the Christmas song that Christopher did. But the spaceman's an alien. Oh, well, luckily I don't remember that at all. I, 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 yeah, you're not missing much. <laughs> I'm not going to bother researching that one. That's okay. <laughs> Brian, Brian Forbes, of course, in the um, Quatermass Two film. Uh, he's he so still, great. Still an actor, yeah. So um, from doing this uh, and from the b- bizarre segues we've done, I hope it hasn't been a, 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 a too un, 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 unpleasant experience. Have your perceptions or uh, interest in Nigel Neal changed in, in, in any way? From it makes me realise I really, it's been on my list for ages. I want to go back and watch all the Quatermass serials and f- films properly. Um, I, I think I was slightly spoiled by seeing Quatermass in the pit first because it's in such glorious colour and it's got Sheila Stiefel and you know it's got so many perfect elements to it um I have to say I have seen the first Quatermass film but I think quite late at night so I think I'll add it to a list but I've got I've got so many things to catch up there, on you know there are but I can certainly recommend uh, the Quatermass TV serial yeah. just because like like the film it has the same elements but gets more time to to go into subplots and there's wonderful bits with you know smaller characters that he brings that he, that, well especially that he, that what you're both saying out. about you know comparing it with Doctor Who it just feels like mm. the quality of the writing it, you know sounds really consistent and one of the things that mm. struck me about some of the old Doctor Who episodes I've watched and I've sometimes gone to the BFI screenings of them is oh my God, they've just escaped and now they've been recaptured and tied up again. And, you know, that's filling, you know, that happens. For four episodes. Yeah, you know, when you just think, when you've been captured for the second time by the same people and put back in the same kitchen. But that's the difference between having one writer do this every every two years and having to churn this out weekly that's you know that's, that's but no that's I think it's I mean maybe there's something else about TV culture which is worth talking about briefly which is you know in America where I know that there's lots of dross made too but I'm struck by how good the quality of their best dramas are and they have teams of writers they may have mm. a chief writer but there's no shame about having lots of people work on it at the same time um, but you trust the ownership of the show you know the whole concept of the showrunner and I know that it's now start of the Doctor Who but you know it's still not you know no one's ever been given 26 episodes to make you don't have the benefit of those kinds of economies of scale and the, the commitment um, and, and I don't know enough about Nigel Neal but it does sound like he was someone who you know, wrote really well and managed to kind of create a consistent vision across a work like Quatermass, which I, I just wish more writers might have been nurtured to do it and that the British system was big enough to have maybe given him more scope to do more because I'm sure he could have nurtured more writers and, you know, created a whole British alternative to the uh, the American writing system, which I think overall still feels like it it tends to produce better, bigger. Sorry, that sweeping generalisation. No, that's. I think that's. I, I think that's a, a a good note on on which on on, on which to end. Um, perfect. Thank you much. I think yeah, it's 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 true. I mean, Mark Gatiss goes on a lot about um, you know, there's Jack Rosenthal, there's you know, Al, yeah, there's um, Dennis Potter, the people that had theatre but went well into TV and are well remembered for for for, for, for TV. And Nigel Neal will never be seen in those categories because of existing prejudice of how 
of one of how you know, sci-fi is perceived in your in your pigeonhole, and two, you know, this stuff isn't 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 repeated. Any any, any that's any, crazy, any especially when you mentioned yeah. Janice Potter, and I know he's written some amazing stuff. I think Blue Remembered Hills is stunning, yeah. Oh, yeah, and yeah, also yeah. the Singing Detective. I remember watching mm. that and interviewing a lot of the cast at the BFI. Yeah. Um, but the misogyny of his oh, work and oh. the indulgence he was given, and I think that's the other element to the British, you know, system that created that, that in which Nigel Neal was trying to function is how how many um, you know how few men were given huge amounts of scope and to produce what I mean some of the late Dennis Potter is unwatchable. It's abs- I mean Black Eyes is unwatchable, and I remember when they filmed was it Dead Lazarus and a yeah. big thing was made Cold about La- it's his Lazarus. last thing. Sorry, Cold Lazarus, Cold Lazarus yeah. and the big thing was made about they sealed off St Martin's Lane to give this big kind of shot across St Martin's Lane and what was in the Lumiere mm. cinema. Um, and it cost a fortune. And I remember even at the time people were saying this is one of the last big extravagant shoots that you could do like this in central London and shut down the West End for this. But because it was Dennis Potter, the BBC was going to do it. And I just think, you know, we have that extreme and then we have the extreme where, you know, young, talented writers aren't given enough uh, scope to kind of really um, establish themselves. And I really hope that changes now. I mean, there's a lot of talk about change, but maybe that's one of the great things in a podcast about Nigel Neal is a man who was such a model of kind of generous, modern thinking, um, but slightly trapped by a system which didn't really allow people to spread their wings as far as they could. Maybe we could do better now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you get a chance also, if you're catching up on um, Quatermass and the Pit TV and uh, series and The Stone Tape, which again is a one I'd, I'd recommend ladies night which was a for, oh. he wrote for he wrote for an itv series called uh unnatural causes in the mid 80s oh yeah and there's an episode uh directed like i don't know if you've seen the woman in black adaptation he later did which okay. just came out on blu-ray with um herbert wise uh but it's a it's set in um a stuffy gentleman's club that due to finances is having to experiment with one one night a month letting women in um and i don't want to say anymore because even even when I will give you a, will give you some idea, uh, but it's the, the it's got a brilliant cast. Fiona Walker is the, is the only woman in it until the very end. But that's a, that's a twist. Uh, Alfred Burke is absolutely uh, is scene chewingly amazing, and Ron Pickup is the slightly ineffectual husband. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's Nigel Neal going head on to 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 deal with um, old world misogyny and and, nice. and women. Ladies' night, anyway, to check out. It's um, we haven't covered it on the podcast yet. Initially, we were just going to do Quatermass, but then it took off a bit more, and we've started to go down other other, other no, Nigerian it's, areas. It's great. I think it's a shame that Judith isn't still around. I should, should it be is, so yeah, proud. Yeah, I would love to. I'd love to, have, and I'd, I'd really like to do an episode more generally on Neil's um, on Neil's. Uh, relationship with women how he treats women uh with well i think the one thing i'd leave you with is if you read those mog books you always look at the husband you know the dad and you always think is that nigel neal who has this absolute rivalry with mog yeah i think even even in the artistry of of the tiger who came to tea there's there's definitely that's tom as she would as she would she would she would call him uh yeah so i think that's what it was as well but anyway, um, Samira, thank you so much for your time. We really, no, really my pleasure. Doing this. And thanks for the recommendations. You don't know, you don't know what it's like. We've lived on penny pieces of bacon from the butchers and what we've got from the tribunal. You're all alike, Frank. We should have stayed, I told you. Archie, 
I'm talking to Jean. Yes, dear, I thought that's what she was doing. I sized up the situation in a flash. Oh, it's easy for people like you to make fun. I left school when I was 12 years old. Oh, right. If she tells me that, once more, I shall get up on this roof, drunk as I am. I shall get up on this roof and scream, and I've never done that before. You had to pay sixpence a week, then. In some weeks, my mother couldn't find it. But this is a welfare state, my old darling. Nobody wants, nobody goes without. All are provided for. I was for. scrubbing a dining Everybody's all right. Young Mick's oh, all right. Oh, this shut up. Frank's all right. Jean's all right. She'll make it up with old Graham and forget all about silly old Trafalgar Square and prime ministers who look like dogs downstairs. They are dear. You don't understand. Now, I, know, I know. Phoebe scrubbed a dining hall floor for 500 kids when she was 12 years old, didn't you? Didn't you? Oh. Have you any idea, either of you, how often she told me about those 500 kids in that dining hall. Oh, shut up. Uh, yeah, okay, son, I'll shut up. Hey, pass one of those to Jean. She looks as though she could use it. I can't. You've been away too long, darling. Every night's a party night. Uh, and do you know why? Do you know why? Hey, look at that. Look at that poor, pathetic old thing there. She's very drunk. And right now, her mazzy, underdeveloped, untrained mind is racing because her bloodstream is full of alcohol we can't afford to give up. What's he talking about? Thank you to Samira, who you can catch on Front Row on Radio 4 and her excellent series The Art of Persia is still available on iPlayer. Next episode, we'll be looking forward to a time when Britain became a place of fear, when everyone stayed locked up at home, and gangs of young people roamed outside, making life difficult for the rest of us. Yep, it's the Quatermass Conclusion, with special guest James Curray-Smith, an episode almost as long in the making as the Quatermass Conclusion itself. Until then, bye-bye, and thanks for listening.